Hello, I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And in this series, we're doing an in-depth study on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And what we've seen so far is that there are actually two stages of receiving the Holy Spirit. First of all, when we uh, receive Christ, we're baptized into Christ and we receive the indwelling Spirit. And that's for our own personal blessing and holiness. But there's a subsequent experience uh, after salvation, and hopefully soon after, where we also receive the Spirit upon us. And this is an endowment of power to witness for Christ, to do for ministry. Uh, And so it's the blessing of Abraham is the promise of the Spirit. And the blessing of Abraham is in two parts. It says, I will bless you and make you a blessing. And so God's blessing, his spirit is his spirit within us, praise God, that connects us to God and enables us to live under the blessing of God. But the blessing of Abraham and the promise of the spirit is also the, we are blessed to be a blessing. We are given the power to impart, to multiply ourselves, to impart life to others. Uh, and that we do that through sharing the gospel, but also that is through, through the power of the Holy Spirit enables us to do that. And so we need to, the Spirit upon us as well as the Spirit within us. And we saw that Jesus is the prime example of this. He was born of the Spirit. He had the Holy Spirit within him. And by the indwelling Spirit, he lived a perfect life, a holy life unto God. But he never did any miracles until he received the Spirit upon him. So receiving the Spirit upon him didn't make him a better person, all right? Uh, And and receiving the Spirit upon you doesn't make you a better Christian in that sense, because you have the indwelling Spirit. We all do. But there is an endowment of power. And that's what the baptism in the Holy Spirit's all about. It's the Spirit of God coming upon us to fulfill our ministry. And so Jesus had the Spirit within him, but he also needed to fulfill his ministry, he needed the Spirit upon him. And we established that Jesus' baptism in the Spirit is the blueprint for our baptism in the Spirit. He already had the Spirit within him from birth, but now the Spirit came upon him and clothed him with power for his ministry when he was 30. And so in the same way, we have the Spirit, if we're born again, we have the Spirit within us from the moment of our new birth, but we still need to receive the Spirit to come upon us, to clothe us with power and supernaturally empower us for our witness, to fulfill the Great Commission. And uh, we, this is confirmed when we see how Jesus described his baptism in the Spirit. He said uh, he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And it, he was actually reading from a promise of the Messiah, a prophecy of the Messiah, Isaiah 61. And he is saying, this is of me a prophecy of me. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to him, to them, in other words, that he began to say it means this is the summary of his sermon. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That was Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 and 2. And so what he's saying is, this prophecy of the Messiah, I am the Messiah, and it's been fulfilled in me. Since my baptism, I have been anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is upon me, and he has sent me. That means I've been authorized to fulfill his mission in the earth, and I've been empowered to do it. And that is the baptism in the Spirit that Jesus gives to us. And so he described it as the Spirit coming upon him, anointing him, empowering him to preach, teach, heal, set the captives free. And uh, he declared that once the Spirit came upon him, he was really saying the Spirit remains upon him. And the power of God, therefore, was present upon him right then and there to heal them and to set them free, and that they needed to believe it to receive that power. And so, in the same way, when we receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the power remains on us. It might be passive, we need to keep it active, but we don't lose that power once he has given it to us in the baptism of the Spirit. And so, this prophecy of Isaiah 61 was actually one of a number of prophecies of the Messiah that the Spirit would be upon him empowering him supernaturally. Other examples, Isaiah 11, the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And Isaiah 42 says, behold my servant whom I uphold. This this is talking about power to serve, to minister. My elect one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth righteousness to the Gentiles. He'll bring forth the gospel. And, and getting right with God. It's a spirit anointing to minister. And so as well as exemplifying a two-stage experience of the spirit in his own life and ministry, Jesus described these two ministries of the Holy Spirit in his teaching also. And we see this in two passages where he compares the spirit to living water. First, when he preached the gospel to a Samaritan woman, he talks about her receiving the indwelling spirit spirit at salvation. He said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In other words, the Holy Spirit, the new birth is available upon request, but you have to come to Jesus to receive. Whoever drinks of this water, whoever receives this water of life will thirst, sorry, whoever drinks this natural water will will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, which is the Holy Spirit, will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So in other words, when we receive Christ, his spirit comes into our spirit and lives there forever. It imparts the resurrection life of Christ to it, giving us eternal life within us. Our spirit is reborn, recreated in God's image, and the Holy Spirit makes his permanent home in our spirit. And so the, 
Jesus was prophesying that, that it's like when you receive that living water of the Spirit within us, it becomes a fountain within us, a fountain of blessing, a fountain of everlasting life within us. That's the Spirit within us, which is a description of salvation and the new birth. But Jesus then also described another kind of operation of the Spirit in John 7. He described, he also described us receiving the Spirit as living water, but this time he doesn't just limit it to receiving the Spirit within us, but it includes the Spirit being upon us and flowing out of us as living water to the world. It says, Jesus cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Receive the Spirit within you. He who believes in me, that's it, the one who has now received the indwelling Spirit, God wants him to move into a second dimension too. It says, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In other words, this is the spirit flowing out of a believer to the world. This is the spirit upon, within and upon. So as well as the spirit within, he wants the whole connecting us to God. He wants the spirit to flow out from us in power. He declares that the spirit within is available for all who are thirsty, who, who desire him. That's the offer of the gospel. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Then he declared that the spirit upon, that imparts power for ministry, the spirit upon is available for all those who believe and receive him. He says, he who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In other words, that we will be a channel of blessing to others. And John then clarified that this living water that we receive within us and upon us is the Holy Spirit. And that this promise of the Spirit within and upon only comes into action, only came into action after Christ's death and resurrection. Because he says, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. You see, before his death and resurrection, nobody could be born again or have the indwelling spirit. This was only made available in the new covenant that was established on the basis of Christ's death. When Jesus purchased with his blood the blessing of the spirit and uh, in his resurrection, he received the spirit on our behalf and he poured out the Holy Spirit for us to receive. And then we could receive the spirit within and the spirit upon us. But it would only happen when he's glorified, when he is resurrected and uh, goes to the Father and receives uh, all authority and power in the Holy Spirit. And so, um, although a few special ones in the Old Testament had the Spirit upon them, it, it wasn't necessarily permanent for them, nor was it available generally for all believers. Uh, and uh, But the Spirit in the New Covenant, the Spirit upon, is available to all of us. And it is a permanent gift. It, the God does not take it away. Um, now that Christ is glorified, his Spirit has been given freely for us to receive, both within and upon. Um, the reason why it's permanent in the New Covenant is that the Spirit within is is permanent and therefore when we receive the Spirit upon that is also permanent. 
The Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified, but Jesus has been glorified. So the Holy Spirit has been given, has been poured out for us. We can receive. We just need to believe and surrender ourselves to the Spirit of God. We see the same twofold. So we see the twofold ministry of Jesus, uh, ministry of the Spirit in the teaching of Jesus. We see it also in Luke 11, 9. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, seeks. Everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So I want you to notice, here we have those who are children of God. God is their Father. And yet, they're still encouraged to ask for the Holy Spirit. So clearly, they haven't necessarily received the fullness of the Spirit. They, they are children of God. But now Jesus says, you can ask and he will give you the Holy Spirit. And that's the Spirit upon you. So in the Gospels, as we follow the story through, before his death, Jesus primarily prepared his disciples to receive the new birth and the Spirit within them. Because that necessarily comes first. You can't get the order wrong. You have to receive the Spirit within first. Then we find that once they had received the Spirit within them, which we'll show is, was on the day of, their, of, the, of the resurrection, then during the 40 days before the final ascension, he began preparing them to receive the Spirit upon, which of course happened on the day of Pentecost. So first of all, we'll see Jesus teaching on the Spirit within uh, and the new birth. Um, we see that in John 3, for example. He talked about the new birth uh, and the Holy Spirit giving us eternal life in our spirit. John 3, Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Most assuredly I say to you, unless you are born of water, and that's talking about the water of our mother's womb, that's our natural birth, and born of the spirit, that's the second birth we need, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So you're, you're outside the kingdom of God until you're born again. Then he confirms, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who causes us to be born again. He re recreates our spirit. We become reborn. Hallelujah. So the new birth is the rebirth of the human spirit which had died to God because of sin, now the new birth reconnects us to God and God's Spirit brings us into the kingdom of God. And so Jesus said, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again, it's imperative. And then Jesus said it was the work of the Holy Spirit, which he compares to wind. By the way, it's the same word for wind, breath and spirit. He says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but it can't, you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so what he's saying is it's like the action of the wind. In the same way as the wind, the Spirit is invisible, but powerful and able to do great things like our rebirth. 
And then Nicodemus asked him, how can these things be? How can this happen to me? And Jesus answered that question in that famous verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die for us on the cross. You'll see that in the context. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have, possess within himself eternal life. And so when someone trusts in Jesus as the son of God, who died for them, who rose again, then the Holy Spirit enters their spirit and imparts the eternal life of Christ into their spirit and they become born again. And then at the Last Supper, Jesus added that at that same time that they're born again, the Holy Spirit would actually come and dwell in their reborn spirit forever. And, and you know, the, the, this connection between the new birth and the indwelling spirit is, is explained by Jesus in Mark. He says, no one puts new wine, the new wine is the Holy Spirit, into old wineskins. The wine, old wineskins are old spirits, the dead spirits. Or else, he says, you don't do it, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins, the, the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. In other words, our old spirit could not contain the Holy Spirit. It would just be impossible. But, he says, new wine must be put into new or renewed wineskins. In other words, first of all, God's got to change the wineskin of our spirit from, from an old one to a new one. And then he can put the new wine of his spirit within. And so, before the spirit can indwell a man, his spirit must be made new so that it can, you know, and then it can contain the indwelling spirit. And the way they would renew old wineskins in those days would be to uh, rub them with oil, and that would make them flexible again, and then they could take the new wine. And so in the new birth, what happens is the, the oil of the spirit is rubbed into our spirit, and that's the indwelling spirit now. And that makes our spirit fresh and perfect and new, able to receive the indwelling spirit of God forever. That's the new wine of God. And um, praise God. So John 14, 12 is, is an interesting verse. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, Jesus said, the works I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Now, the works that Jesus did were teaching, preaching, healing, deliverance, other miracles. And we are called to do these works, but also greater ones. Now, people struggle with this because how can we outdo Jesus? We obviously can't do greater healings and miracles. So what is the greater works that, that each believer is called to do? There's only one answer to that. It's to help people get born again and to be baptized in the Spirit. You see... How could, why is that greater than anything Jesus did? Well, because Jesus could not do those works. He couldn't get people born again because that was not available before the cross. But now that Jesus has died and risen again, established the new covenant, the greater works of the new birth and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is now possible. And so we can actually do greater works. When you get someone saved, that is far greater than getting them healed. And so both are good, but we are called to do greater works particularly. And so that's the difference that Jesus' death and resurrection makes. 
So these greater works are possible as we pray for people and as we share the word of God with people. Uh, and the new birth is something new in the new covenant. Jesus also described the coming of the indwelling spirit. In John 14, 16, he said, I'll pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. And this word for another is alos, which means another of the same kind the same kind of Jesus. In other words, he is like Jesus. That tells us he's a person, not an it, not a force. And also, like Jesus is God, he's divine, the Holy Spirit is God. So it's a divine person that will be given to us. And uh, that's elaborated in the next verse. He's the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him because he dwells with you and will be in you. And that's a big statement. He already dwells with them because he was within and upon Jesus, the Holy Spirit. So they knew him by acquaintance that way. But he says in the new covenant now, he will be in you. The Holy Spirit will be in us. And that's why the Bible says we are temples now of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Praise God. And so Jesus is announcing now that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit forever. Praise God. And then in John, in his teaching there in chapter 14 to 16, he described how he would send the Spirit to us and indwell us, connecting us to God, spirit to spirit. He's our helper, our teacher, our guide. He glorifies Jesus to us and through us and reveals and administrates and imparts all the blessings of God to us. And he also says that he will work through us, that's the Spirit upon, to glorify Jesus to the world and to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Well, that is primarily preparing them to receive the Spirit within. Then on the morning that Jesus rose from the dead, between 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock in the morning, the third hour, Jesus ascended on high. Most people think of his ascension in after 40 days, but what many don't realize is the first and the most important ascension happened on the morning of the resurrection. And uh, he ascended on high, and then, let's say an hour later, he returned to earth, and then he appeared to the disciples for 40 days before his final ascension. And we're going to cover this time and next time the four purposes for this first ascension on the morning of his resurrection. First of all, by his resurrection, he had to fulfill the Feast of first fruits. Secondly, he had to present his blood in the heavenly Holy of Holies. And he didn't wait 40 days to do that. Thirdly, he had to receive all authority in heaven and on earth. And uh, he must have done it before the final ascension because he announced during the 40 days that he had already received all authority in heaven and earth. And uh, Daniel 7, we'll see, actually predicts that he has to appear before God's throne in order to receive that authority. And finally, he had to ascend in order to receive the Holy Spirit on our behalf. And again, he needed to do that on the morning of his resurrection, because in the evening of his resurrection, he's already imparting the Holy Spirit to his disciples. So he needed to have been exalted already and received the Holy Spirit. And he announced this ascension to the first witness of his resurrection, which is Mary Madeline. Uh, 
In fact, she's the only one who saw him before his initial ascension. And, uh, and, and he appeared to her for a specific purpose at that time, which was to let us know about this ascension. When Jesus appeared to Mary at the early to- in the empty tomb, uh, he said to her, Mary, and she said to him, Rabboni, which is teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, do not touch me, do not lay hands on me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending. Notice present tense. I, he's in the act of doing it. He was about to do it. I am ascending to my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. These are very important words. Notice he's saying in the present tense, I am ascending. He didn't say, I'm going to ascend in 40 days. And, and that would be nonsensical if he was giving, you know, to, to use his ascension 40 days later as a reason why Mary couldn't touch him. That wouldn't really make sense. It's only because he was ascending right there to do a job. And for Mary to touch him at that point was actually going to be inappropriate, as we're going to explain. Um, In fact, it's interesting that a bit later, after he had ascended and returned, he met some other women. And it says, as these women went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. And they came and they held him by the feet. And they worshipped him. So a bit time later, they actually uh, did what Jesus did not allow Mary to do. So something had changed between those two encounters. And uh, Jesus actually had to ascend to the Father to present him his blood in the heavenly holy of holies and to, and to present himself as the first fruits from the dead. And... Uh, it's an offering. These first fruits is an offering unto God. And Jesus died at Passover to fulfill Passover, and he rose again at the Feast of First Fruits to fulfill first, first fruits. And the first fruits offering, the first fruits of the harvest, was offered up to God and waved before God and accepted by God on behalf of the whole harvest. And so Jesus had to be offer himself to God as the first fruits. And then he would be accepted by God on our behalf, which means that the blessing of God can then come on us. So because that was an offering to God, it wasn't right for Mary to touch him, as it were, before he had actually offered himself completely to God. And that's why he told Mary, don't touch me now, because I've got a job to do. I'm ascending to the Father. But when he came back, he allowed his disciples to to touch him. And so we're going to talk more about this ascension next time because it's very important but not understood. Of all the CD series I've done, I think one of my favourites has to be Blood Covenant because if you understand the Blood Covenant, which is a deep concept in the Bible, so much of the Bible will start making sense to you and it will help you understand the covenant you have in Christ. So I've done this series of eight CDs which will really open your eyes to what's behind many of the spiritual realities that in our modern civilized world we have got no clue about. And also I've written a book called Growing Up Spiritually, which is really a great book for, for a young believer especially, but for all kinds of believers, to give you the key principles of how you can grow from being a baby to being a mature believer. Growing Up Spiritually. Let's do it.
Thank you for watching. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH. You can order CDs, DVDs, books and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.